0: All right, can you guys hear me? All right, kids, feel free to go on and head out right now with Miss Colleen and Miss Kim to practice on the uh, Christmas program and we'll see you guys in a little bit. Uh, For everyone else, uh, those of you guys who are sticking around, uh, grab your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Luke. Uh, You've got Matthew, Mark, uh, and then Luke in your New Testament. Uh, If you don't have your own Bible, there should be some Bibles in the pew back uh, in front of you, and if you turn to Luke chapter 10, that will be on page 843 in your pew back Bible in front of you. If not, uh, the text uh, should be up on the screen. And so as everyone is turning in their Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 10, uh, we find ourselves in verse 38 uh, through 42, the very end of chapter 10, and we find ourselves in a a very short but significant story um, that I think most of us will find familiar. Uh, We've been in a uh, a new series called Why Worry. Uh, Last Sunday, if you were with us, you saw the teachings of Jesus on uh, why not to worry. Uh, We saw that we have a lot of reasons to worry in this lifetime. There are a lot of anxiety. Anxieties, a lot of fears, and a lot of reasons to worry. But we also saw that Jesus gave us five reasons why not to worry. And uh, so uh, from there, we're moving on uh, now to part two in our sermon series, Why Worry. And I've called it Missing Jesus. And so we're taking a bit of a a turn. Uh, In our first sermon, we we looked at reasons why we should not worry. And in the next sermon or two, or maybe three, we're going to take it some effects, some consequences of our worry. That is, what happens when we get engaged in worry and anxiety and fears and stress as a Christian? What are some of the consequences of doing that? What are some of the results of doing that? That's uh, where we're going to be taking a look at for the next uh, at least couple weeks. And we start with the first consequence of worry, and that is we miss, we miss Jesus. Uh, So hopefully you're there in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, and uh, let's pray. And then we'll dive right into this uh, marvelous little story about Mary and Martha. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we're so very grateful uh, for the opportunity to be here. It's, uh, it's good uh, for your people to come and to gather together and to sit under your word. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to do that. Father, in particular, as we've been looking at this very timely issue of worry and, and what it is that your word has to say about it, what it is that your son has to say about it, and, uh, and some of the consequences of doing that. I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, help us to see ourselves uh, in, in, in either of these characters, both in Mary and in Martha, and help us to learn from them what it is that you would have us to learn. As your son says, there's only one thing that's most necessary. There's something that's most important, and uh, it's being with him. And so help us to take a hard look at our life, our worries, our stresses, uh, our daily fears and anxieties and the busyness of, of all of our lives, and to take a step back and to see if we, like Martha, are maybe missing out on Jesus. And so be with us. Give me grace that I might speak your word accurately and truthfully. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen ran across an interesting little article that I'd like to to begin with this morning, and and the article was entitled, How You Can Tell When It's Going to Be a Rotten Day. Uh, I'm sure some of you have had that experience. You wake up and certain things happen to you, and you know this is not going to be the best of days. It's going to be stressful. Uh, Well, here are a few things how you can know when it's going to be a rotten day. Number one, it's going to be a a rotten day when uh, you call Suicide Prevention Hotline and they put you on hold. You know it's going to be a rotten day. When you uh, get to work and outside of your office is a 60-minute news team awaiting your arrival, you know that it's going to be a rotten day. It's going to be a rotten day when your birthday cake collapses because of the weight of all of the candles on top of it. You know it's going to be a rotten day. It's going to be a bad day when your twin sister forgets to call you on your birthday, it's going to be a rotten day. It's going to be a rotten day, this is my personal favorite, when your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a, a group of hell's angels on the freeway. You know it's going to be a rotten day. It's going to be a rotten day when, when your boss tells you not to bother taking your coat off. You know it's going to be a rotten day. When the bird sitting outside of your window when you wake up in the morning is a buzzard, you know it's going to be a rotten day. When you wake up and your braces are locked together, kids, you know it's going to be a rotten day. When your income tax check bounces, you know it's going to be a rotten day. It's going to be a rotten day when you end up putting both contact lenses in the same eye. You know it's going to be a rotten day. Any of you ever done that before? You can admit it. Yeah, I have. It hurts. So yeah, it's going to be a rotten day. I've been there and done that. And and finally, the article says, you know it's going to be a rotten day when your wife wakes up and says, good morning, Bill, and your name is George. You know it's going to be a rotten day. You know, as we we broach this subject of, of worry, Oftentimes, I think at least in my life and probably in yours, it's not oftentimes the, the big worries, the, the kind of worries that keep you up at night, the kind of worries that give you ulcers. It's not those usually big kind of concerns that on a day-to-day basis cause us the most amount of worry. It's, it's usually not things like terrorism or threat of a natural disaster for most of us that keeps us churning inwardly that causes our stress levels to be high, that causes us to have aches and pains in our neck. You no, know, it's usually, at least for me and, and probably for you, it's, it's the everyday concerns. It's the nitty-gritty uh, experiences of work and of play, of, of home and of life. It's, it's the everyday responsibilities of getting things done, all of which oftentimes amount to a low-grade form of worry, which we call stress. But when you think about it, all stress is is a a smaller, lesser form of what the Bible calls worry and anxiety. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at a story in Luke chapter 10. You may be familiar with it. It's the story of two ladies. Uh, the, the, one's lady, the first lady's name is, is Mary, and the second lady's name is, is Martha. Uh, before we kind of get into that, I want to make a, a couple caveats. I think oftentimes when we read this story, we kind of make it about gender because the, the story is about two women. It, it's not about gender. The story is about discipleship, the story is about people who follow Christ and how we we can be distracted by that. And so even though the two main characters are women, men, you can insert your name in Mary's spot or in Martha's spot. Um, And secondly, it, it really has less to do with, uh, with the name. Uh, Martha, if she's here, I don't know if she is. I know probably you, <laughs> I don't know if you like this story or not. I, I've heard before that people say, oh, here we go. I, I'm named this, and it's, you know, a person who's, who's not exactly right in the Bible. That's okay. Um, it's not about names. You can insert your name. Martha, I'm getting you off the hook here, you know. It's, it's anybody. Insert your name here, right? Um, and, and so, let's take a look at this story, because what we get is a story in contrast. It's really a story about Uh, two contrasting uh, responses to a visit that Jesus gets in the household. One of the ladies um, gets overly concerned, overly busy, overly stressful, and is consumed with the worries of the moment. And she, as a result, ends up missing Jesus. And yet the other one, whose name is is Mary, uh, does the opposite. She responds uh, well to Jesus. So so let's do this. Uh, Basically, there's a couple a couple, a couple sections. We're going to do the sermon in a couple main sections. The first is we're going to take a look at Mary and Martha's story. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 40. We're going to read the text. It's short. And, and then kind of walk our way through it, make some observations, hear about the story of Mary and Martha. And then we're going to wrap up our sermon by learning some lessons from Mary and Martha. Four lessons in t- it, to be particular. So let's just kind of read the story and uh, then we'll walk our way through it and see what we can see. So uh, let's turn in our Bibles Luke 10, let's read this together, starting in verse 38. <clears throat> As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what He said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And that is the reading of, of God's holy word. So let's walk our way through the story and see what we can see about uh, these two women. Uh, so the, the story begins, and this is a very short story, we're lacking details. How how we wish that we had more details, how we wish that we could feel just a little bit more about the mood and the tension and some of the interplay and the glances that were going on. How I wish we had more detail. But I think Luke leaves it up to our imagination a little bit to to imagine how this must have gone down. The story begins in verse Thirty-eight. It says that Jesus and his disciples, certainly at least uh, 12 of them, and there may very well have been more. We know that oftentimes more people follow Jesus other than the 12, and so uh, Jesus and and the 12 at least, and maybe some others, It says that they were on their way. Now, in the book of Luke, what you find out is that they're on their way to the city of Jerusalem, and they're on their way to what Jesus knows, but the twelve don't know, um, will be his execution, his death for our sins, and and the resurrection. So they're on their way, and they want to stop— Uh, in this village. The the text says it's a village and it tells us that there was a woman who uh, opened up her home to them and her name was Martha. Now we know from other biblical texts a few other details. We know that the home uh, there was uh, most likely Martha's. She most likely was the oldest here. Uh, It was probably Mary and then you had Martha the younger sister and they had a brother named Lazarus. We don't know if he's younger or older uh, but he's the Lazarus who was resurrected from the dead by Jesus. Um, But that's, I think, after this story. And so uh, Jesus and his band of friends and followers are walking, and and they're coming to a home. And we know that this home was in a town called Bethany, which is maybe two or three miles uh, away from Jerusalem. It's a small village, maybe a, a nice place to get away. We know Jesus certainly was, was a busy guy, and he was bombarded oftentimes with all sorts of requests. And the picture that we get is that this home was kind of a resting place for him. It was kind of a place where he could go and relax and enjoy good fellowship with, with friends that he loved. Uh, the book of John tells us that Jesus specifically loved Mary, and loved Martha, and loved Lazarus. They had a, a loving, good, healthy friendship. And so most likely, uh, Jesus is tired, and he, he's stopping along the way, and Martha opens her home to him. And so what we see at the very beginning is that the stage is set for some tension, the stage is set for some anxiety. The stage is set for some worry. Uh, the stage is, is, is set for some distraction. Because, uh, think about it, in that day, when you would visit somebody's home, to offer hospitality was not just, hey, come on in, sit on my couch and have a cup of coffee. Uh, to offer hospitality in that day was oftentimes to entertain someone for a good portion of the day, if not into the night. And, uh, and a meal was, was kind of required in that culture. And so place yourself, just for a moment, In Martha's shoes. She is likely the oldest. She is responsible. She's the hostess. We see that clearly from the text. And so the responsibility for hosting this group of men comes and falls squarely on her shoulders. Now, as I said before, this, this is not just Jesus. This is 12 guys and possibly even more. Now, I don't know if you've ever hosted a large group, probably many of you have, Um, but if you've ever been the person in charge, if you've ever been the person responsible for the meal, it's your meal, and you're hosting a whole group of people, let me ask you something. Is it stressful? And you say, yes. Is it tense? Yes. Is it sometimes full of uh, distraction? Yes. Can it become a worry? Absolutely. And so the stage is set here for Martha, who really is the main character. Uh, Mary is kind of the foil. We learn about Martha from Mary, but the main character is Mary, uh, is Martha, excuse me. And so the, the stage is set for worry and anxiety. And we move on into verses 39 and 40. And again, there's not much detail here, but Luke gets right to the point, and he contrasts both the activity and the attitudes of these two women, right? And so he begins by sharing about the younger sister Mary. What is it that we find her doing? Well, we look again at verse 39, and we find that she finds herself, or places herself rather, in a Position that would be quite unusual in that day. We see that Mary finds herself at the feet of Jesus. She finds herself sitting down, and Jesus was teaching sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had to say. We don't know if Jesus had been here before or not. We don't know if this is a, an initial visit or if he is a, an old friend. We just don't know. But what we know is that Mary found Jesus and his teaching as a, as a rabbi, a traveling rabbi, to be significant. It was something that she didn't want to miss. It was something that was extremely valuable to her. And so when the men started to to gather around and to sit down as they would in that day to listen to the teacher Somehow, and we don't know exactly how it happened, Mary finds herself in the position of a disciple, and, and, and she finds herself sitting down, listening with the other guys. Now this was something that was unusual. In that day, usually in Jewish culture, women were not allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi and to teach, and so this is unusual. Unusual. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if the men kind of talked amongst themselves as, as Mary perched herself there at the feet of Jesus, uh, listening intently uh, to every word that he had to say. We don't know if there was conversation. We just don't know, but it was unusual. This was not normal. And yet here she is at the feet of Jesus, and Luke simply says she was taking in every word that Jesus taught her. And so we see her actions. Uh, She was uh, attentive. She was listening to Jesus. We see her attitude was that of humility, and yet her attitude was one that, I'm not going to miss out on the words of of this man. (laughs) That was her attitude. There's nothing more important than listening to him right now. And so we see a, a brief sketch of Mary but then we get to the main character, and the main character in this brief little story is Martha. And Martha's actions and her attitudes are, are, are compared to, they're contrasted with that of, of Mary. And so let's, let's take a look at what Luke tells us about Martha. In verse 40, uh, the, the tra- my translation starts with the word but, which says there's a contrast here. Mary has an activity of listening and she has an attitude of Jesus is most significant in this moment, but the actions and attitude of Martha were a little different. The text says, but Martha, my translation says Martha was distracted. Martha was distracted. What was she, what was she distracted from? And what was she distracted by? Well, clearly she was distracted from listening to Jesus. Because that's what was going on. She was distracted from listening to Jesus, but she was distracted by, the text tells us, by all of the preparations that had to be made. Literally in the Greek, it's by something to the effect of by by the much serving. By the much serving. That's what she was distracted by. And any person who's ever been in a scenario like this, I think knows exactly what Luke is trying to tell us. There were 12, at least 13, maybe more men, and maybe they were hungry. And... Martha here is is the firstborn, and and, and I don't want to read too much into it, but certainly from other biblical texts, we see that she took the lead, that she was the initiative taker. We see that when Lazarus was raised from the dead. She's the responsible one. She takes the lead. She's kind of the A-type personality. She wants most likely things to be perfect for this most special of guests, and there were many things, at least in her opinion, that needed to be done. A lot of preparation to feed and to host these men in in a way that she thought was necessary. And I emphasize the fact that she thought it was necessary to do it the way that she wanted to, with many, all of the preparations. There's going to be a contrast here, because she is caught up with the many, and Mary is caught up with the one. There are many preparations that had to be made, and, and the text says that she was distracted We know what it means to be distracted, right? When we are distracted, there's something we should be paying attention to that in that moment is most important, right? It's most significant. But when we are distracted, we are taken away from that which is most important into something that maybe is not bad or evil or wrong, but it's just less important, right? And so when the football game is on and... My wife is trying to talk to me, let's say, for example. This never happens at our house, okay? But let's just say, for example, the football game is on and I'm watching, uh, and my wife is talking to me. She's trying to convey something to me. And you can say in the moment when the TV is on that I am distracted <laughs> because there are lesser things going on. There are football games going on that draw me away from that which is most important, which is the conversation with my wife. M- Martha was distracted by that which was most significant. And so we see both uh, Martha's actions and her attitude. We see her action here most significantly. She's busy, she's doing, she's active, she's heaping uh, responsibilities upon herself. But when we get then to the end of verse 40, we see her attitude, right? We see her actions, she's busy, but we see her attitude, and her attitude comes out in the question It's more like a demand in the Greek that she makes of Jesus. It's just one little line, but let's look again at what she says. She says, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of the work, to do the work all by myself? And then she commands Jesus, tell her to help me, right? Tell her to help me. What's, I think, interesting here is that... um, Take a look at, 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 uh, at the emphasis. What's the emphasis here on the question? Lord, don't you care that what, church? My sister has left who? Me. To do all the work by what? Myself. Tell her to help me. And so we see a, 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 just in a moment there was a switch from serving the men and, and serving Jesus and, and being a good host it's been elevated to doing what is necessary to provide a good meal and a good experience to this is really about me <laughs> this is really about me providing a good meal my reputation as a hostess my meal my perfection the way that i envision it being do you see that it's not anymore about jesus and i think in the moment it's not even about mary who's it about about Martha. (laughs) Because she, the Bible says, in Jesus' words, has become worried and upset. You see, the stress has turned into worry, which has turned into the the word upset. Talks about an external, she's frazzled. That's what that means. She's frazzled, right? That's what it's turned into. And the focus has gone from serving Jesus to, to serving her own needs and expectations. And as a result of her busyness of being engaged in all of what she thinks is necessary, it's become about her. Now, take a look at Jesus's uh, response. He says, you're worried, you're upset about what? One thing? No. About many things. There's a contrast. Martha, there are a whole slew of things going on for you that are significant and not bad at all there are many things that you're doing, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. It's exactly hard to know what that means, but what I think it means is this. I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying, Martha, listen, I know there are 12, 13 guys, maybe more. I know there's a lot of responsibility here, but listen, I've, I've come not just to get a meal. I've come to teach you, I've come to speak with you. I've come to be with you. I've come to fellowship with you. And it's not at all wrong for you to be doing this. I, you're the host, and we appreciate all that you're doing. But listen, you've made it into more than what it needs to be. I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you've made a ton of dishes, and you've become overly stressed, and you've set these expectations on yourself, and you're busy, and you're worried, and you're frazzled. But listen, listen, we don't need a five-course meal. We just need a one-course meal. Give me a piece of fish. Give me a bowl of soup. And then, come listen to me. Then, come be with me. Then, make that which is most important, most important. See, he's not railing her for hosting. He's not railing her for doing things while she, uh, well, her sister is, is, is listening. No, he's saying, you've taken on too much. You're too busy. You've done too much. I want to share a quick story with you. Jean Hendricks, um, the wife of famous DTS professor Howie Hendricks, has written a book called A Woman for All Seasons, and she describes a scene that probably I think many of you, especially you ladies, can, can relate to. I think we all feel like feel like Martha from time to time. She she writes it this way, frustration is a very real problem. Some years ago I was hostessing a, a Thanksgiving dinner in our little home, which happened to be on the short side of counter space. The the Lord and I had had many conversations about the fact that the house was too small, but he said wait. I thought I was doing the best I could. I thought. Shortly before it was time to serve, I, I slipped into the hot kitchen to, to check my roasting turkey. As I was lifting it out from from one place to to the other in a place too tight for efficient operation, it slipped and it fell right down on the floor. What would you do? She continues Two thoughts flashed into my mind. Number one, the floor is clean. Number two, nobody's here. you know, you would think that as well. So I grabbed it and lifted it to the platter, grateful that nobody had witnessed my clumsiness. And she goes on to say that she served it and nobody knew until she wrote the book. (laughs) She says, suddenly a surge of self-pity came and I leaned up against the wall and started to cry and I said, Lord, I told you so. Now look at what's happened. It's all your fault. Then I heard laughter and talking from the other room, and I suddenly felt ashamed. What if somebody should come and see me in such dejection? I I grabbed a newspaper to, to cover the mess on the floor, and I decided to have it out with the Lord later, and she concludes by saying, I think I know a little of how Martha felt. Do you know a little about how Martha felt in that moment? I think we all do. Jesus, I think, graciously responds. I don't think he yells at her, Martha, Martha. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's how it is. Oftentimes, the repetition of a name is is a a sign of gentleness. Martha, Martha, and he gets right to the point. Listen, you're doing too many things. One thing is necessary, and then he responds to her demand about Mary. Mary has chosen what is better. That's an important word. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will be not be taken away from her. It's not that what she was doing was bad. It's that listening to Jesus was better. <laughs> it's not that what she was involved in, the busyness and the cooking, was wrong. It's just that in that moment, there was something more significant, and it was spending time with Jesus. And so let's now turn in the minutes that we have remaining to learn some lessons. Let's learn, learn some lessons for, hopefully, from Martha and, and, and from Mary's story. Number one, if you're taking notes, just kind of jot these down. Uh, number one, sometimes w- w- three, sometimes and one all the time. That's that's what we've got. Uh, number one, sometimes our busyness causes us to miss Jesus. Sometimes our busy, hectic over lifestyle causes us to miss out on personal time with Jesus. Uh, to me, this is the most clear application from this text. I think oftentimes I look at my life and I think, boy, I am just I'm like Martha. I choose a whole slew of things that are not bad. In fact, many of them are good over spending, just simply spending time with Jesus, listening to him, praying to him. I mean, just think about all of the things in, in, in a day or a week that, that oftentimes come before the best thing. I mean, choosing to sleep in instead of waking up 30 minutes early. Guilty. Listening and enjoying sporting events instead of spending time in the word. <laughs> Guilty watching the news at night while you're vegging out, maybe working late, maybe exercising instead of prayer time. There are, are, are an infinite amount of ways that I think our busy, busy, busy lifestyle, while not bad in and of itself, causes us, come on in guys, causes us to miss out and we find ourselves like Martha. We're so consumed with our schedules, with our sports, with our extracurriculars, with our family and, and all of those things are good but There's a savior and he's teaching and he's longing to spend time with us and we find ourselves busy in the kitchen. Sometimes our busyness causes us to miss Jesus, but not only that, secondly, sometimes we create worry and stress ourselves. I think this is also a clear application from this text. Sometimes the worry doesn't come to us, but we create it. We create the worry and we create the stress. Just think about Martha Yes, there's a level of stress in in providing a meal for guys like this, but she went over and above. She did more than what she needed to. She added more to her plate than was necessary. She added her own expectations of how it should be, her own desires, her own standards for how the meal and the hosting should be. And when we do this in our own life, our own expectations, somebody else's desires to to what we have on our plate, somebody else's standards, or maybe standards that are our our own and they're too high to meet, we oftentimes can create stress and we can create worry on our own. This is often true of those who tend to be perfectionist, those who tend to be a little obsessive-compulsive, and I'm not going to ask you if that's you, but you know if it is. You just do too much. You get worried. You're easily stressed out. It has to be the way that it has to be, right? And, and, and so we just create this stress. For me, I know when I'm doing this because my neck tenses up and I can feel it. I can feel it right here in my neck and I think I'm not handling the responsibilities of the day rightly because I'm becoming overly consumed and overly concerned. I'm creating it myself. So sometimes we, our busyness causes us to miss Jesus. Sometimes we we created ourselves. And the third sometime is this. Sometimes we lash out at others because of our unnecessary worry and stress. You know, this is the part that's interesting. I mean, can you imagine, I don't know how it went down, but in my mind's eye, this is probably a, maybe a small home, I don't know. Uh, can, can, can Martha, who's, who's doing cooking and she's busy and she's stirring and she's sweating and she's clanging and she's busy, and she, there's, all, there's a frenzy of activity over here, can she see what Mary's doing? I mean, can she, can she peer maybe through, through a window or a doorway and just see her sister just sitting there doing nothing? Now, A-types, Would you not respond like Martha did? I mean, come on, let's be honest here. Would you not say, we have to host a meal and we have to make five dishes instead of one. And look, she's just sitting there doing nothing. Mmm, right? I mean, you can see her stirring the bowl, but looking at Mary just with a grimace and oh, it's boiling, it's boiling. And then it explodes. Jesus, she's not doing anything. Tell her to help. And she lashes out at Jesus. And she lashes, she, she lashes out at Mary. And, and the irony there is that Mary is doing the better thing. <laughs> is doing the better thing. So what about you? Can you lash out sometimes at others because of your unnecessary worry and stress? Maybe it's, maybe it's your husband who, who doesn't feel quite the need for the perfect house, the perfect cleanliness, when company is coming and you lash out at him because his cleaning and his level of concern is just not quite your own. You know, maybe it's lashing out at your kids because you appreciate that they do the dishes and that they help put them in the dishwasher, but we all know that there is a right way to put dishes in the dishwasher, and there is a wrong way to put dishes in the dishwasher, right? And when your kids do it the wrong way or your spouse does it the wrong way, well, we know what happens. Maybe it's a, a wife who just doesn't understand that your mentality at work is, listen, honey, if nobody does it, if, if I don't do it, nobody, nobody has, nobody, nobody's gonna get it. It's not gonna get done if I don't do it. So I have to spend hour after hour after hour at work, right? And she doesn't quite understand this overly busy mentality. So we've seen three somethings, and we'll get to our last nothing. Uh, excuse me, our last All the time, sometimes, but all the time. Number four, the last thing I think we can learn here is all the time, our worship of Jesus must come before our work for Jesus. You see that in our text? Our worship of Jesus must come before our work for Jesus. That's exactly, I think, what was going on with, with Martha I don't know about you, but this is, I think, a, a pretty significant and dire warning for those of us who are involved in serving Jesus. And I don't just mean like in doing a ministry, although I do mean that. There are a lot of things here at Grace that we do. There are a lot of ministries, and there are a lot of people who are involved in a lot of things. And, and, and secondly, there are a lot of people who are involved in serving Jesus outside of this church. They host uh, uh, people. They are good to their neighbors. They serve. They, they serve Jesus in a lot of ways. And, and, and the warning here. Briefly is this, when we get so concerned in doing things for Jesus that we forget that it's about being with Jesus and loving him and hearing from him and spending time with him, then we get burned out. And so I don't know about you, if you're a church-aholic, church-work-aholic, don't think that serving Jesus is your time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. It's a lesson that I'm having to learn often. In closing, I want to share uh, an interesting statistic, and then we'll proceed with our baptisms. The the Bureau of Standards in Washington found an interesting stat. They tell us that for a a, a dense fog, imagine this in your mind, for a dense fog that covers seven city blocks, seven city blocks of, say, downtown Chicago, if there were a dense fog and it covered seven city blocks, and it covered those seven city blocks 100 feet deep, So we're talking about a nice patch of fog. They tell us that that kind of a dense, thick fog is only composed of something less than a glass of water. Isn't that fascinating? I found it fascinating. All of that fog, all of that denseness, just one cup of water, some roughly 60 million tiny, teeny droplets of water that are taken out of the cup and are spread over seven city blocks that create a thickness that causes us to not be able to see clearly. You know, that's, that's not very much water, but it's a lot of blurred vision. If you've ever been in fog before, I grew up in South Texas right by the ocean, and many a morning it was dense fog, and you couldn't see five feet in front of you, and, and I drove to school that way oftentimes. It's a whole small amount of water, but a whole heck of a lot of blurred vision. You know, I think a cup full of worry does the same in my life and in your life. Just a cup full of worry, a cup full of anxiety, a cup full of unmet expectations has the same result in my life and in your life. Just the water droplet size issues can multiply and they create a dense fog of worry and what they do, as what they did with Martha, was they cause us to have blurred vision, to have blocked vision and we can miss Jesus right in front of our face. And so church, let's learn from Mary. And let's learn from Martha. Let's not allow the daily, the small worries of life to cause us to miss out on time with our Savior. But like Mary, let's choose to, to bow at his feet, to not do some of the things that are good in place of that which is best. Let's pray